0: Hey, good evening everyone. Welcome to In With The Old. We're a video podcast focused on dispelling myths, building appreciation for God's Word, and helping you all rediscover the Old Testament for the life of faith. Good evening and welcome to a kind of fun special guest episode. Tonight I am not joined by Dr. Tim. As we said last week, he for some reason thought it was cool to take a vacation with his family. Just kidding. We hope he's having a fun time this week. But it does mean I get to be joined by a special guest. And I'm really excited for this talk, and I really hope I still have a job at the end of it, too, because I'm being joined tonight by Dr. Christian Wilder, uh, who is one of That's my colleagues at GCU. <laughs> <laughs> I've just I've just said the expectation, Christian, we get up to a lot of fun, and I, I'm i hoping it's not too That's much fun. <laughs> so Dr. Christian true. Wilder is is uh, associate professor of uh, theology for Grand Canyon University's The. Uh, boy, that was tough to say. Oh, my goodness. Grand Canyon University's Theological Seminary. Uh, He's a colleague. He is someone that I am usually encouraged not to sit next to during faculty meetings because we get into trouble. Uh, But that's why I'm so excited to have him here with us tonight. So, Dr. Christian, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing?
1: Very good. Thank you for having me on. I'm looking forward to this.
0: Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. So, uh, listeners, as you've got a sense... With Dr. Tim and I, right? Even though we're both Old Testament professors, the Old Testament is a huge place. And there's lots of different areas to kind of put down roots and set up an area of expertise. Christian has an area of expertise that neither Dr. Tim nor I have. And that's why I'm really excited to have him here this evening. Dr. Christian's expertise is in Second Temple Judaism. Now, if you've grown up in the church like me, that's probably a term you've heard used from time to time. But like so many terms we toss around the church, I don't know if we've stopped to actually understand what that is or why it matters. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about tonight, talking about Second Temple Judaism, both its kind of historical and textual like basis, what it is, and then why it matters for reading the Bible, both Old and New Testament. So uh, that's our goal for this evening. We're going to start by kind of just doing a wide survey So those of you joining us live on YouTube tonight, please feel free to jump in with questions. I'll be monitoring the chat, and we'll try to maybe dig into some of those as we move forward through the night. So Christian, I want to kick it over to you to kind of orientate us. Second Temple Judaism. That's on the one hand, a very descriptive label for what we're going to talk about. But on the other hand, it doesn't tell us much if we are already aware of what's going on. So what is Second Temple Judaism?
1: That's a very good question. Um, if you're asking what is Second Temple Judaism as far as historical period, um, it's the time between 538 BCE when the Jews came back from, from Babylon, well, some of them, the first wave, um, and either 70 CE when the temple fell or 120 CE when Romans, Romans came in and raised all of Jerusalem and wiped Hmm. it out so that's a very broad swath historically and in there that's split into two main sections which is the persian time and then the greek time and of course the greek time starts with alexander the great around what 330 something like that
0: something around there yeah So it's interesting. The second temple, uh, listeners, if you you caught what Dr. Christian said, it starts with the rebuilding of the second temple, or rather, that's one way to mark it. It could be marked right by the Cyrus decree and uh, the Jews coming back. But it is Zerubbabel's temple, the second temple, the first one being Solomon's temple. Um, And This period lasts as long, basically, as that second temple lasts until it's destroyed. So this period, in some ways, it's not identical, right, Christian, to what we call the silent years. But it it does cover this kind of gap between the two testaments. And that's why it's kind of interesting, because the silent years, which is how I was introduced to it, right, that's a misnomer. This is a period of history that is just chock full of major events and important developments in both Israel as a nation and the ancient Near East as a region, right?
1: Yeah, it is. It's actually a very loud time. We don't tend to listen for it much, Mm. but this is the time that uh, most of the Old Testament came together in what scholars would call the final form. Um, So... There's questions about how Habakkuk came together, um, how Isaiah came together. Ezra and Nehemiah are are halfway between two books and one Mm -hmm. book when when they kind of get frozen. Um, The latter part of Psalms, uh, David is all kinds of questions about, I'm sorry, not David, Daniel. And then Jeremiah and those as well. So, a lot of um, the prophets and other parts of the book or of the Bible came into final form in the Second Temple period. So, that in itself is very big. But then we have world changing events that influenced not just Judaism, but actually influenced through Judaism Christianity. And our Bible, our New Testament, actually reflects some of the, if you will, the, um, outpouring or the, the, the waves are coming off those events. So, which I'm sure we will get into.
0: Absolutely. So Christian, just before I, I move on to the next point, uh, we, you're chopping out just a little bit, so I don't know if, uh, there's anything you can do for the internet, but we will press forward regardless. Um, Yeah, so Christian said, right, these are the loud years, and they very much are, um, because we have, just for the nation of Israel, right, Christian, you said you can divide it into kind of two periods, the Persian period and then the Greek period, but we can further divide that Greek period even up uh, against the various groups. So, listeners, just after the traditional ending of the Old Testament, we usually say 400 BC, right, um, you have the the, Greek... I say Greco-Roman, Greco, part of it, uh, with Alexander the Great, rise to prominence, and he comes through. Uh, and Jerusalem actually surrenders, right, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they go out and they actually show Alexander the prophecies of Daniel, uh, at least according to tradition and Josephus, uh, that, it's hey, true. we think you're, you're prophesied to come in. So uh, Alexander it's says, true. I had a dream about that, too. Okay, we're good. You're conquered, but we won't actually fight. But after he dies, uh, you then have all the warring factions, the four major houses that come out of his death. And for our purposes, you have both the Ptolemies and the Seleucids, two rival factions, the Ptolemies from Egypt, the Seleucids from Syria, end up fighting over this region for a decent period of the time. Um, Christian, if you're with us... uh, What's going on uh, for the people of Israel? So you have some of the people that have come back into the land. Uh, they're resettling. And then they are still dealing with foreign oppressors. Oh, we Hi. may have lost Christian. That's all right. This is the fun thing of being live, isn't it? We just have to roll with it. So that's all right. I will. I will keep pressing forward, listeners. And I'm sorry I'm not quite the expert Dr. Christian is, but we will have him join us in a moment. But if we're just looking at the history of the Second Temple, right, we do have the the Greeks, then the Ptolemies. uh, So they're out of Egypt. And, And during the Ptolemaic kind of control of Israel, we have a few important developments. First, you begin seeing Greek replace Hebrew as the dominant language. So, right, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, but if you're aware of kind of our original sources, we have the Hebrew text, but we also have this Greek Old Testament that we sometimes call the Septuagint, or the LXX. Now, that begins to be written during the Ptolemaic reign over the nation of Israel. So this is important, right? Uh, Alexander introduces Greek to Israel, and it's the Ptolemies that begin to proliferate it and, and begin... Elevating it to the lingua franca, or the language of trade. As that happens, more and more Israelites and more and more Jews realized, I don't learn Hebrew that much, right? I don't need it that much, but now our sacred texts are written in Hebrew. We should have a Greek translation. And so that's where the Septuagint comes in. After the Ptolemies, you have the Seleucids of Syria. And they are an interesting faction because they come in and they begin uh, performing abominations uh, in the temple area. And we'll have Christian, when he rejoins us, talk about that a bit more. Um, but eventually their tyranny in the land of Israel leads to an overthrow by a group known as the Maccabees. Uh, and Christian, welcome on back. Uh, this is the I'm beauty sure. of live. You just it just rolls.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what happened. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, we switched networks about three days ago, so.
0: Okay. Who knows? (laughs) It's all good.
1: So uh, what I was
0: doing is I was trying to uh, stumble a little bit through, so we have the Greeks replaced by uh, the Ptolemies first, and uh, maybe you can speak to this a little bit more. One of the developments that happens under the Ptolemies is that Greek begins to replace Hebrew, and you have the traditional beginning of the Septuagint, correct? Correct.
1: Yes, although there's there's a lot of stuff kind of behind the scenes there. So, for instance, right. you had about 12 wars, um, at least 12, that went on between the Ptolemies and the uh, Seleucids up in the Syrian area. And so they were, they were mm-hmm. going back and forth, back and forth. And the Jews, although the Jews are up in the hills a little bit, they're still dealing with all of this. But they, at first, they like the Ptolemies, and so they they side with the Ptolemies and they try to stay with them. Now, remember that there are still Jews in um, down in Egypt from before. There is a temple on Elephantine Island down in southern Egypt that had by this time um, it's it's no longer um, in use. Actually, it, it got destroyed a little. The little issue between the the uh, I think it was the, the nom uh, priests didn't like their temple and so they destroyed it. But uh, so you have them down there. You have Jews that are over Babylon still. So Jews are spread out everywhere, and mm-hmm. you have all of these cultures that are kind of coming through. So when you have the Jews in say Alexandria and down there and in the Ptolemies, that's the main empire right now that's controlling the area where the Jews are. And so with that comes things like taxes and, um, and politics that play along with that. Mm -hmm. So when we read in, in uh, Ezra Nehemiah about um, Samballot and Tobiah coming down and saying, Hey, let's, let's become, you know, let us take part in this. We want to help rebuild. And the Jews said, well, the um, returnees said, no, you're not part of us. Well, it was one of their descendants who had power right across the river from Judea. And they actually went to Egypt and through a series of mechanisms, won over the tax farming from the priest in the temple. Hmm. This is 200 someplace in there. And so there's a lot of things that are kind of going on behind the scenes. Now, you also, as you said, you have the, the people in, in um, Egypt, the Jews in Egypt. And with them, about that time, if you go by popular history, the Ptolemies are building this wonderful library called the, the Library of Alexandria. And Still keeps me up at history, night
0: wondering what we lost.
1: Yes. And so popular history says... And I keep saying popular history because there are people who even deny there was a, a library there, but popular sure. popular history said that Ptolemy wanted all the books, and so they went and asked mm. some of the Jews to translate. So that's how the Greek actually started to come into the biblical texts, if you will. Um, it, it was still pretty much I would say, I would argue it was still Aramaic, um, Hebrew and Aramaic or the average jew they would have known Mm -hmm. greek as well at least parts of it
0: sure so uh listeners by the way the the ptolemies if you're like that name sounds somewhat familiar but i'm not i'm not familiar with second temple judaism we are very familiar with a famous descendant and i think the last ptolemy correct uh which is cleopatra uh she is of this family um after the Ptolemies, you have the Seleucids come in and and here's where history, shall we say, gets a little spicy. Um, after the Seleucids begin taking more control of the land, uh, they begin messing with the temple, right? And, And Christian, this leads us to, in my mind, one of the more relevant events, maybe not the biggest event in history in this period, but one of the most relevant ones for especially new Testament studies, which is the rise of the Maccabeans. So, uh, who are the Maccabees? Because we've we've mentioned even on this podcast that there are books called Maccabees, but we haven't really gotten into what are they talking about?
1: So you have five brothers and the father, and they're the Hasmonean brothers. So their last, their family name is the Mm -hmm. Hasmoneans. And they were Levites. They had responsibilities with the temple. And they did not like what was going on. So if you follow... That's a nice way of putting it. If you follow, follow the book of Maccabees, <laughs> um, back up a little bit, you have the, the, this Celtic king called um, uh, Is Antiochus,
0: Antiochus Epiphanes.
1: Epiphanes. Yep. Yeah. And so Antiochus 4 Epiphanes has come down, and the Jews have caused problems with him before. And mm. so at one point, he comes down and they think he's dead. And so there's an uprising, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He finally says, you know what? We're done with all of this. And he casts a, or not cast, he, he, he um says Judaism is no longer allowed. You mm-hmm. will not circumcise. You will eat pork, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, so he banned Judaism. He also took a pig and sacrificed it next to the altar to uh, for Yahweh inside the Holy of Holies
0: which that's a no-no. Like that is yeah. that's breaking just about every taboo you can for them.
1: Well, of course, then you have the other question of how did he get into the holy of holies and not be struck dead?
0: Hmm. Is this where Ezekiel, if we understand that Yahweh has left the temple, maybe helps us there? What would you think?
1: I would say that that helps us. I believe there is a passage in Jeremiah. Uh I'm sorry. You said Ezekiel, right? hmm Yeah, I, I I apologize. I'm thinking the same one. Yeah, where, where he sees him leaving. But then you also have um, Hosea saying that God has divorced Israel. So you have that right. break there. And then you have, um, as we've actually talked about before, um, in Ezra and Nehemiah when they rebuild the temple. Now, every time a, t- a tabernacle or a temple has been built, God's presence has come in, and there's smoke and there's fire. Mm-hmm. In Ezra and Nehemiah, that is not there, Right. which signifies God's presence is no longer there. Which, if you go a little bit further in that, creates a ton of questions that I don't think we want to get into tonight. But, um, <laughs>
0: but it's worth thinking about, right? Like, wait, yes. the glory of God did not return. Where is he? Uh, and where is it with his people? And so, yeah, we might not get into that tonight, but those are good questions listeners to kind of have in your mind. Sorry, Christian, go ahead and keep going.
1: <laughs> no problem. So anyways, fast forward. Now you have an for Epiphanes who is in the temple. He's, he makes that sacrifice. He says that there are no more Jews allowed. And so, um, up a little bit north of there, there is this guy who is being forced to eat pork. and, he says, I'm not going to do this. It's wrong. I, I do not, I am not going to do it. It's against my belief. And he was threatened to be killed, et cetera, et cetera. And he just says, no. So his neighbor steps in and says, Well, tell you what, I'll eat the pork for him. And he starts eating it. And the guy turns around and kills him. And that is mm. the father, the Maccabean father. And from that point on, you move into this Maccabean rebellion where they are going to completely reject anything that um Atticus for Epiphanes is trying to do because they they're going to move into a self-rule. And so you have five brothers who are at war with them. And they go from being no nothing, you know, I don't want to say low life in this way we mean it today. But, you know, they uneducated, not, not real. You know they're, they're, they're like dirt farmers. Right. And they go from being that to being regional powers, regional kings and powers, one of whom even goes to Rome and, and makes a pact with Rome. I mean, they go from mm. nothing to international relations and, and, and generals in a matter of five, 10, 15 years. So it is an amazing story.
0: And it is, right? Because this, this represents like the, the shining moment for the nation of Israel in this period, because they finally have a, a measure of independence for the first time since they first went into captivity. We have but, some sort of national identity. And one of the brothers, uh, and kind of usually viewed as kind of the, the, sing, the singular best of them, was named Judas. Which I always yep. find interesting. I'm like, okay, so Judas is the folk name. Like, it's your folk hero's name, so that it's a great name to have. Then you get to mm-hmm. the first century, it's a little less good. But, um, th- like, Judas Maccabeus is a famous figure. The books of Maccabees, listeners that we've mentioned before, are the historical accounts of this family and its actions. The five brothers, uh, all of whom I think die violent deaths, correct? Either in battle or being betrayed. <laughs> I don't think any of them have a good end. No, they
1: don't. Um, now, no, Judas. Judas Hasmonean, he's the one that actually got the nickname Maccabee, because Maccabee is a Mm -hmm. nickname, and it means hammer. And it it just represents the way they fought. And so uh, they all reach kind of their their sticky end, if you will, but there's one brother, uh, I think it's like the third or fourth one, I forget what his name was, but he's my favorite one, as far as how they they die. Because Mm -hmm. he is... He's that brother that everyone else kind of helps along, if that makes sense. He yeah. Let's them win the board games type thing. Well, they're in war. And he looks up and he sees, I think it's an elephant coming. And of course, you know, because they would ride the elephants, come to war, whatever mm-hmm. else. I and mean, it was all decked out and it looked great. And he thought, the king is on that elephant. And so if I go and kill the elephant, I'll bring the king down. We can kill the king. We win. And so he runs rushes the elephant, takes his, his, um, uh, spear or whatever it is and jams up into the elephant and kills the elephant. I mean, so far the story is great, except he ran under the elephant to do it. Oh no. And the elephant crushes him and he dies. Oh no. Oh so, man. From, from That's being it. a hero to a footnote of history. Just because you're five feet one place <laughs> instead of the other. I feel like that, that's like a
0: Monty Python skit of history, sure. right? Like that's how you'd go about yep. killing. And oh, anyway, so the the, the Hasmoneans, right? They it, it's this initial family. Eventually, you give rise to the Hasmonean dynasty uh, with with John Hyrcanus. Um, mm-hmm. And this, listeners, are the kings eventually that are are kind of in power as we get to the first century. Rome comes in and deposes them, sort of, and, and you have this kind of dual political structure, right? So, Christian, maybe walk us in uh, as we come out of the silent years, which I, listeners, I hope you're seeing, are anything but silent. Um, how's the world changing as we get to the time of Jesus?
1: Well, we there's a couple really important events that happen long before this that we have to touch before we okay. walk towards the time of Jesus. I went too far and- forward. Let's do it. And so that, we have to go back to um, before the, the Hasmonean has Revolt. Um, so you have the Seleucids who are trying to expand their empire, and we're talking 200, 190, 180, someplace in there. Mm-hmm. They're trying to expand their empire, going, going everywhere. And this new small empire to their west is gaining power. And they see what the Seleucids are doing. And so they come against them and basically um, threaten them and make them pay. This is Rome. And Rome makes them mm-hmm. pay reparations, even though they weren't the ones at war with them. So that's really important because now the Seleucid now kings have a lot of debt they have to pay. They, some of their, their, the, the children of the kings were spent, or spent time in Rome, which was a very common thing. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: So one of them returns and gets into power, and now, again, you have an a empire that is starving for money, and they, they want to expand the empire, and that takes even more money. And so the way they do it is, or one of the things they do, of course, they get the taxes. Now, remember I talked about the temple having the taxes. Well, right. the priest would take, or he would, he, either he or he would designate someone to take the taxes, up to the Seleucid king. So Onias III, who was the last high priest, the uh, last official high priest in um, Judea, let me rephrase that, the last um, Zadokite high priest. So that line that comes from David all the way through, mm-hmm. it, it is considered the legitimate high priesthood. Okay, Onias III gives money to, I don't remember uh, if it was his brother or brother-in-law or there's some kind of kind of a, a relation there. So he gives him the money. He says, take it up to, to the 70s king. And so he does. And he goes up there, looks up the money and says, Hey, tell you what, if you make me high priest, you can have all this money mm-hmm. and more. And so of course, you know, the Seleucid the Empire is needing money, so they say, sure, why not? So they give, J- Jason is, is what we call him, they give Jason the high priesthood. Jason comes back down and kicks Anais three out. Now, Jason introduces Hellenism into mm-hmm. Judaism. He forces them, or not forces, but he drives home uh, the idea of bringing in the Greek san- um, um, sanctity. I'm sorry, I'm going back to church growth and I want to call it a That's not right. A gymnasium. <laughs> yes. The, uh, so the, uh, the Greek gymnasiums, and where they teach the philosophy and everything else, mm-hmm. part of that is um, wrestling. And Greeks wrestled naked, as we know. Mm-hmm. And one thing that is important to know is in Greek culture, the and forgive me for being blunt here, but the tip of the penis is to the Greeks the same way the entire bathing suit of the area is to us. So you Mm. have Jews coming in to wrestle with the Greeks in in the gymnasiums and they are presenting an an affront just by being circumcised. So they start reversing circumcision. Guys, if you're listening to me, don't look up how to do that. Yeah, that's a
0: Google search for the brave. Don't do it.
1: don't, don't, Don't do it but they start reversing circumcision. But now you reverse it. and What are you doing? You are negating the Abrahamic covenant
2: mm-hmm. and every
1: covenant thereafter. And so all of a sudden questions start rising up. What does it mean to be Jewish? How far can we take or how much of the Greek culture can we take and still be Jewish? And there's all of these battles going on. So unfortunately, Jason doesn't learn his lesson and, uh, he sends his buddy up to take taxes to the, the um, king. And his buddy says, hey, king, I can raise even more taxes if you give me the high, high priesthood. And so he does. And he comes back. He kicks Jason out. And by this time, the high priesthood is a mess. And so take that now and put it to the side because everything that's going on from this point forward there are undergirdings of what does it mean to be Jewish that's going on in this? Mm. That's why we get into Qumran and the Dead Sea Scrolls, where the Dead Sea Scrolls came from. Um, it was a split to make sure they keep their Judaism and to keep it pure. Um, that's why you, we have the Sadducees and the and the the, the uh, Pharisees and the, the um, Essenes, if they're not the same as Qumran, which some say they are, some say they aren't. Um, that's right. Why. We have all these different groups that are asked the question, what does it mean to be Jewish? I have books here that talk about, you know, Judaism's rather than Mm -hmm. Judaism because it's so divided. So keep that in mind because now we jump jump into what you were asking about, which was the descendants of um, the Maccabees. Right. And of course, the Maccabees, they were good. You know the, the the Vi Brothers, they were good when they were in power, um, but they installed a high priest. One one of the Maccabees became a high priest, and mm-hmm. a, a large group of people didn't like that. So they started to debate and discuss, and down the road they finally came to to an agreement that, well, next time a a um, a um, Zadokite priest was ready to step in as high priest, the um, Hasmoneans or or um, um, Maccabees Maccabean priests would step down. Now we know that's not going to happen because priests actually right already what's happened is Onias IV, the son of Onias III, has taken off into Egypt, and in Leontopolis, he's created another temple, another Jewish temple. Mm. So we have one, two, three, four Jewish temples at this time as well, because you have one in Samaria. So right, there's a yeah. whole bunch of stuff going on. But as the as the um um Maccabean dynasty grows, they start to get more and more um polluted with power. That might mm-hmm. be a good way of putting it.
0: Yeah, power um, corrupts, right?
1: Yeah, po- power corrupts. And it it got so bad that there is one story where um there was a fight between one of the, the the Maccabean kings and the people
2: mm-hmm.
1: and of course the followers of the king and so they invited the people invited the uh the Seleucids in to help out and then they decided you know what we don't want the Seleucids here so they turn against them and kick them out everyone kicked them out and so the maccabean king held a a um party or whatever else for everyone and in that time took I think it was 600 and it was the Pharisees that did this. So took 600 Pharisees and crucified them in front mm. of their families and then killed their families while they were being crucified. So it, 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 it becomes a dark time. But right. All of that moves down to two brothers who are fighting, trying to get power. Um, once the priest, One's the King, and, um, By this time, they've already expanded the empire out. They've taken Samaria again and wiped it out again. Um, They've gone up beyond there. They've now taken Galilee and gone up north, have gone down into Edomia. And when they do that, they say, well, you have to be Jewish in order to live, in order to be part of this empire. And therefore, we're going to circumcise you by the sword. So they forced circumcision to make them Hmm. Jews. Now that becomes important because when you have these two brothers, and now we're talking like one hundred seventy-five uh, BC BCEs right in there, and they start go, they start battling. There is an Indumian Indumian counselor for one of them, and he he's being fair, he's being he's being good, but what ends up happening is these two brothers they they come to a, oh, to a standoff. Hopefully not. I'm still here. Are you? Can you hear me? Okay,
0: yeah. No, we just lost you for a second. Sorry. Go ahead. Keep
1: going. So they they come to a standoff, and um, they invite Pompey, the Roman general, to come in and to kind of bring peace and and to situate it. Mm -hmm. So he does. Then as soon as he leaves, they start fighting, and they go back to war. They reach out to Pompey again, and Pompey comes back in, and he says, I'm done with this this is now a Roman Empire, or this is not part of the Roman Empire. You guys mm-hmm. you guys are finished. But why that's important, not only because we moved to them now being subjugated to Rome, but the counselor, his son, we know in history as Herod the Great. Correct. So, and that's so how we move to we... heaven. This is how we move to heaven, and it's not really Jewish, but mm-hmm. kind of Jewish king during the time of Jesus. So if you now move into Matthew, chapter one, or chapter one and two, um, and, and Luke, why would King Herod be so afraid of a child being born? And someone come and saying, "Oh, it's the king of Israel. It's the prophesied king because he is legitimate, and Herod, his legitimacy, well, just depends on how Jewish you think he might be at any single day.
0: Yeah, his so, bona fides are, are are not quite solid. Um, yes, and yeah, no. So that, thank you for for doing that. So this is part of why I wanted you on and why I think this is important for us as Christians to know the Second Temple because, especially, we'll talk about its impact on the Old Testament here in a moment, but. Um, as we come into the gospel stories, right, the world has changed drastically, and we need to know why. Um, two things I really wanted to highlight that you said first is the fact that when we come to that first century, we have Judaisms. Um, listeners, as you've read through the gospels, you'll notice Jesus sometimes takes different tacts with different groups and how he's going to talk about things and how he's presenting and trying to argue people through what the Old Testament says. And I, I think part of that we can trace— The fact that, hey, we do have people disagreeing on what does it mean to be Jewish? What does it mean to be a person in covenant with God, right? And and we have this division of who's the rightful priest, right? Do we have a rightful king? And and there's a lot of these questions kind of baked into the culture. Um, We have a lot of political upheaval and uh, discontent. And in fact, right, rolling the story just a little bit forward, 40 years after the Gospels, I think most people know as Christian, right? uh, A revolt breaks out in Israel and Rome doesn't put up with revolts very well, do they? oh <laughs> they, they like to put them down.
1: <laughs> and yeah, that that's not that's not the first one. You you go back to mm. Galilee. Galilee was a seabed of sedition. Yeah. You have um Judas, oh, what was his full name? But again, another Judas who um basically led a rebellion up in up in Galilee. Mm. And so They're aware of this. And matter of fact, it was his—I think his grandkids—who led the rebellion in seventy-one twenty. So you know, there's there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of history stuff that runs through here. And again, remember, through all this time, there's also this argument of who gets to be Jewish, what is Mm it made to be Jewish. So, to jump further even more. You go into some of the New Testament Gospels, or New Testament, you go into Galatians. What's Paul finding? Mm. It's not that it's just some, some guy saying, hey, we want our traditions. It's people who are afraid that they're giving up too much Judaism. And because of that, there are going to be horrible things that happen to the nation of Israel. Well, they're no longer a nation anymore, but to the people of Israel. Because they learned from the Babylonian captivity that if you don't follow exactly what God says, you could take it into captivity. And so they, they're afraid. They don't know exactly what's going on. That's all in the background throughout the Gospels. And also, that's why there's questions about, you know, Jesus, Why? why are you accepting these people who are sinners? How dare mm. you do that? It's not just we're better than them. It's you're threatening our nation by doing that. So... We tend to read it in a lot more black and white. But there was a lot of proper fear that was going on there because they didn't want to end up where their forefathers ended up because they didn't follow God, which is ironic, I know. But mm. um, so again, you have Galatians and the, the Judaizers there. And all of that is about what does it mean to be Jewish? That's and so I was good. going to go somewhere else with that too and it skipped my brain.
0: That's all right. Let's um, let's actually stay here for a second, and this was supposed to be sure. later, but um, since we're talking about the New Testament, is there a specific story that we could go to and go like, all right, if I was going to highlight why it's so important for us as just regular Christians to read and know a little bit about the second temple because it illuminates or gives fuller meaning to a story, what would be your go-to story to highlight that?
1: Why does Jesus turn water into wine? Ooh. Doesn't so I've that,
0: always heard it right that wine it's it's just part of the Jewish wedding ceremony, right? You want to serve the best wine first. It's a it's a cultural slight to run out of wine. But I'm thinking there's more.
1: Yeah, I mean it it, it that seems just a little for it to have such prominence. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, it might be this is one of the first miracles we see for Jesus and John. Okay, I get that. Right. However, if you go back a little bit further in John, you see that Jesus is walking up the uh, Jordan, right? He's just mm-hmm. seeing John the Baptist, so he's coming up through th- through the Jordan around around Samaria because we we hate the Samaritans. That's a story that we still have to get to. Um, mm-hmm. But it, he's coming up, and if you look at a map, if you're coming up the Jordan and then you come back across into Galilee, you are coming right near the territory of Decapolis, or the Ten Cities. And mm-hmm. the capital of the Decapolis is a city called Scythopolis. Scythopolis was the same city, or same town, where Saul was beheaded. Okay? So, mm-hmm. fast forward, now, there are a lot of rumors about Scythiopolis or not rumors. There's a lot of beliefs in, Scy- in Scythiopolis that Nyssa was buried there. Nisa is the nurse to Dionysus. Mm. Okay. And mm-hmm. so there is a Dionysian cult, cult in Scythiopolis. For those of you who don't remember your Greek mythology, Dionysius is the wine god. Now,
0: I think it was by Bacchus you know, in uh, in Latin, yes. correct?
1: Yes. Yeah. Now, Brian, you and I know that one connection point doesn't mean it's correct, right? Right, yeah. Although it's a nice connection point, wine, wine. There's However, if you go back and you read in Second Maccabees, uh, there's a part there that talks about the, the, the vines growing, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a reference to Dionysus. And the reason why is because we know from history that they were trying to meld, the Greeks were trying to meld Dionysus and Yahweh together. So Dionysus oh, was Oh, so like
0: to, syncretism.
1: Yeah. So, well, Dionysus was serious, They made that mm-hmm. connection in Egypt— And they're trying to say that Yahweh and Dionysus are the same. Hmm. And so now we fast forward back. Jesus turns water water into wine. What is that? That's not just a nice thing to do for someone at a wedding. That's a claim to deity. Hmm. You guys know about Dionysus? Watch this. Yes, I'm a god. And pretty soon you're going to learn I am the god and the only god of this world, of this world, of this universe. And then mm-hmm. if you come to that through John, you already know that from John one, one and one fourteen. But yeah, it's, but that's a, it,
0: that's a really cool connection because this, that's how Jesus communicates his claims, right? He doesn't make uh-huh. claims of divinity for our culture, but within his own culture. Um, sure. well, wow, yeah, I had, you know, I've never seen that connect or heard that connection before, but that makes a lot of sense. That's, that's really cool. Thanks. Um, and so, and right, we can keep expounding upon these. Go ahead.
1: Do you do you want a second one? Absolutely. So remember I talked about the, the tax farming
2: mm-hmm.
1: and how and, and, and I know taxes, great, we're done. You're losing all, all of your blog, you know, <laughs> or your your, your um, podcast viewers right now, like great okay, talk about taxes again. But no, remember whoever farms the taxes they get to take all the money off the top. So they Mm -hmm. get to be rich. And that's how the temple can help support itself as well, right? Okay. Fast forward a couple hundred years. Who is hated in the days days of Jesus?
0: Oh, tax tax collectors. They're scum. Tax
1: collectors. Yes. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, you could at least partially trace that back to the fact that the Tobites, who originally in Ezra and Nehemiah come out of Samaria, we hmm. have that connection with it as well, took this over. And even though by the time we get to the New Testament and Rome is now, now in control, I would argue you still have that bad taste in your mouth about the person that has a role of tax collector.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So again, it's not just, you know. Oh, he's taking money from me. He, he's stealing from me. There are, I don't want to say racial issues as much as it's, he is, you know, there are Jews that are betraying us. How dare right. they?
0: They're conspirators, right? They're traitors. They are uh, uh, yeah. working for the invading power. Um yeah, that's good, because that, there's a lot tied up in that, and, and Christian, you now mentioned the Samaritans twice, so let's circle in on them a little bit, because you can read the Old Testament, and we don't see that word, kind of, we'll, we'll maybe talk about that, right? But um, when we get to the New Testament, all of a sudden there's this group that seems to be hated, Jesus has the, the famous story uh, with the woman at the well, and John, but I, I don't think we spend enough time unpacking who these people are. So who are the Samaritans? as we go through this period of time?
1: That's a good question. Because, as we know, originally, um, we have Samaria um, being the northern uh, kingdom.
0: Capital of the northern ten tribes, right.
1: Right. They get taken off into captivity, and it gets backfilled with others who intermarry with some of the people who are still left there. Okay? Now, Mm -hmm. the other side of that is there's... Something called um, The Myth of the Empty Land. Matter of fact, uh, Blakensop wrote a book on this. And it's the myth that when the Southern Kingdom was taken, that it was that everyone got taken with them. And they didn't. It was only those who had, had skills that Babylon could benefit from. So your, your, your day laborers, your, um, mm-hmm. your, your farmers, they got left behind basically. You know, um, answer a bad joke about left behind series. Um, <laughs> sorry. So th- th- they get left behind, and they're called the Amharets, the people of the land, mm-hmm. and they're also rejected by the returnees, and so they are not necessarily Samaritans, but they're on the fringe as well, and probably end up. I would. Imagine at least a portion of them ended up in Samaria as well. But so when they come back, you have this group of people who are just, just to the north, and they are at the very best, if you would, half bloods. Okay, mm-hmm. let's throw in some Harry Potter now. They're, they're, they're half bloods. There you go. Um, so you know, they have some Jewish history. Uh, you look at the names Tobiah, that last name, Ah, mm-hmm. Yah, from Yahweh. Um God is good. So anyways, they they do have a connection to Yahweh and yet they get rejected. And that causes the the beginning of that split. Well not beginning, that is the split. But right. at that point they they just you know it, it's like two two five-year-olds, you know, that don't like each other. It's not that big of a deal. They're sending letters back to, to the king. Uh you know, hey, mm-hmm. he's doing this, Make him stop and you know blah blah blah. Fast forward again, um, you have you have um, um who was it? You have all of the wars between the Maccabean brothers. The Samaritans are looking at this, and they're going, or the Maccabean um, kings. And the Samaritans are looking at this and they're going, we want nothing to do with this. They're seeing how they're Mm -hmm. they're, they're treating the the Seleucid and the Ptolemaic empires and playing them off each other and whatever else. And they're like, we're done with this. So they go to the Seleucids and they said, we want to become a Greek city, a Greek state. And they rededicate their temple to Zeus. Mm. Now, that feels those like a noise. Or just just a little south of them. I mean, they've never allowed them to truly be Jewish, but yet how right. dare you now dedicate your temple to Zeus? So they go up and in one of the first expansions, they just raise the city, destroy it,
2: mm.
1: and the temple. Now it gets rebuilt, but that's where some of that antipathy starts to come. And then you, you start to have that fight between both of them, both of them of, you know, who has the right belief? Is it Mount Gerizim or mm-hmm. is it Mount Zion where, you know, God truly dwells? And out of that came something called the Samaritan Pentateuch, which I'm sure you're familiar with, but it's right. a variation. Hey, it still of, exists
0: today that we can read it.
1: It does. it does. And there are, last I heard there was, a very small community that still mm-hmm. held to um, the traditions of the Samaritans, like the true Samaritans from that day. that they're, they're still there. But yeah, so you yeah, have, which might the, surprise the,
0: a lot of readers, but yeah, they still yeah. are here. Um, last time I saw it was only a couple hundred, but they are still yep. around.
1: so it, it, you know in the end, you have this this thread that comes out of the Old Testament. And you have these things that have happened in the intertestamental period, to where when you come into the New Testament, the Samaritans are hated. They're the, they're the antithesis. They're almost the New Egypt.
0: Oh sure, because I mean they check all the boxes, right? They are mudbloods to use a Harry Potter reference, yeah. right? They're they're yeah. they're quasi Jewish. They are political traitors because they in those internecine wars um side with the enemies of Israel, so to speak. Um, and, and they're religious traitors, not just for Zeus, but then rewriting the Pentateuch to kind of move all the locations north to them. So yeah. you kind of put all this together and you go, This is who they are when you hit the New Testament. They are yeah. would you say they were hated more than the Romans and your average, you know, person yes. on the street in Jerusalem?
1: Yes, very much yeah, so. No so doubt. Yeah, because it- you have the, the Sadducees, who were the more conservative party, um, mm-hmm. who actually liked the Romans. And then you have right because well, they played the political liked, game. Yeah, they, they they worked with them. They were okay with them. Sometimes, most of the time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, you, you you. But you had the you know Roman appeasement people who who you know they they were good with it. You had the Pharisees who weren't good with it, but they they didn't. Run up and kick the 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 centurions and run away when they had a chance, you know. Mm-hmm. You did have the Sicarii, who were Jewish assassins. By the way, it's interesting, Sicarii, um, in because again in, in Hebrew and Aramaic you don't have the vowels. So Sicarii is S C R, right? S-C-R, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And Judas Iscariot S C R. And so I've yeah. I've come across things I've said that maybe Judas Iscariot was one of the Sicarii. Maybe he hmm. actually was an assassin, and that would explain how he knew exactly who to go to to betray Jesus, because he would have targeted them. Now, that is real. Um, what if there? Okay, but it sure is it's interesting an interesting connection. Yeah, you know it's. Just, just, just to think about that all those possibilities even exist. And if you don't know your Second mm-hmm. Temple history, you're not going to know that stuff.
0: Right. And listeners, I hope you're getting the idea. Like This is just kind of off the top of Christian's head, uh, and, and these examples can just be repeated and repeated. There's so much that happens in the gospel stories, in the early life of the church, mm-hmm. That you have to know the history that has led. Why do people say the things they do? Why is culture shaped the way it is? Um, That I think we, as a church, especially as a Protestant church, suffer from. Because as a Protestant church, we stick to the Tanakh in the Old Testament. It's 39 books. And then the 27 in the New. During the Second Temple period, we have writings and there's a couple different classifications, but probably the one people are most famous with. Uh, as Protestants, we would say the Apocrypha, uh, but if you're Catholic, you'd call them the Deuterocanonical books. So if you've heard that term, these books came out in the Second Temple. So Christian, let's uh, switch, if you don't mind, to talking a little bit about the literature. So prophets cease. The, the last prophet of Israel right, comes and goes. We know this even from Maccabees, because I believe they say uh, there's no prophet during their time. But just because the prophets have stopped doesn't mean all of a sudden Israel goes, "Oh, we're not going to write anything more." But they keep writing, and they give us kind of a wide collection of books. Um, Walk us in a little bit on this. What what is the literature of the Second Temple, uh, and what can we do with it, even as Protestants who may not hold it as Scripture?
1: What is it not? Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's a loaded question, isn't it? I know. (laughs) Yeah, we have um, expanded Scripture. With books like mm-hmm. um, um, the Book of Jubilees, which is a retelling of Genesis and part of Exodus. Mm-hmm. Um, we have additions, additions to Daniel. We have additions to, uh, well, we have, actually have Ezra 2, 3, and 4. Also known as Ezra A, Ezra B, and whatever else, and even mm-hmm. questions as to, well, no, I won't get into that. We we want to keep our jobs. Um, <laughs> then we, we we have we have um, we, we have several other t- other expansions going on. Um, we have something called pseudopigrapha. So someone would write, and they would take on the name of an ancient. And use Mm -hmm. their name to give them authority in what they were writing, and this plays out a lot in in apocalyptic material. And so we move into like First Enoch, Um, maybe a few parts of Second Enoch was still written in the Second Temple period. Um, Mm. You go into was it uh, Moses the uh, the Apocalypse of Moses. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a testament. There's, there's a bunch of them that, that we can go into from there. Um, and all of those are ways of kind of hashing out what's going on in this time period. Mm. So that, that, that's apocalyptic, and we can get into that at a different time. Okay, So you have apocalyptic, you have expanded scripture, you have love stories. Uh, They go back and they take um, 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 Joseph and I can never say his wife's name. Zenith? Something like that. And Mm -hmm. they create a love story between them. And it's a fun read. It's a great read. Um, You have another love story-ish in the Book of Tobit, which Mm -hmm. does several other things and starts to introduce uh, demons and demon possession, and that type of thing. Um, you have wisdom literature, wisdom of of of, of uh, you know, Ben Sirius, rock. Um, you have the Sibylline oracles. Um, mm-hmm. And the deeper you dig, the more stuff you find. You know? so yeah, there's there's so much writing. And, And some of it is just taking from scripture and building something else, maybe just to teach a lesson, maybe because it was just entertainment, like with uh, Jacob or Jacob. I'm sorry, uh, Joseph and Joseph, or 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 maybe there was actually a lesson in there because she repents and basically Mm. has a conversionistic experience in order to become um, proper for. A proper Jewish wife. So there's probably a lesson in there as well. Um, yeah. The the apocalyptic material that's all about you know encouraging your people and, and, and you know, here's what's going on and here here's how uh, the Sallus said kings and the Tolmai kings and all these people are are at war and destroying all of us. But hold on because God's going to deliver us. Mm-hmm. And of course they do it in a they they prophesy it as if it was said much earlier. Uh, it's what's called X, 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 event X event to, prophecy. event to, right? Yeah. Yep. X event to prophecy. So they, they write it after the event as if it was written before the event. And it's not because they're being deceitful, at least not to their community. And so that they save their neck so that you know, a, a soldier for that, that's invading them can't get a hold of this stuff or is, is, in their city can't go co- can't get a hold of this mm. and say wait a second what are you saying about us
0: so and you can say oh it wasn't me this is you know yeah. something passed down to us and
1: yeah so and it I- just opened up at this time because apocalyptic or i'm sorry apocrypha means mm-hmm. something that's hidden and so it was opened up just right. at the right time and that's where we get the idea of all these books just showing up especially the ones with the uh um, much earlier names like Enoch and um, mm-hmm. Baruch, uh, who's Jeremiah's um, secretary, for lack of a better word, uh, scribe, I should say. Right. And then you have the history, like you like you were talking about with Maccabees, uh, and then you have, if you have not read 2 Maccabees, first go and read a something that explains what's going on in 2 Maccabees, but then read 2 mm-hmm. Maccabees. It is hilarious. It is, I mean, at one point you have a woman telling, telling her seventh son, who's just seen the, all her other sons die, you know, to be man, go die like a man. You can do that. Come on, go die like a man. <laughs> it, it, you're like, what? You, you have a, a righteous mm-hmm. Gentile, which is that, that starts to show up in Second Temple Judaism. You have a righteous Gentile mm-hmm. who, is, who um, is trying to escape, so he jumps. False, his guts splat everywhere. He doesn't die. So he stands up, gets up on, on these rocks, he starts taking his, his guts out and throwing them at people as he's telling them to repent and come back to Yahweh, basically. And then in the mm-hmm. end, uh, I think it's Antiochus 4, becomes a TV preacher. Well, okay, they don't have a TV. So he becomes a tent <laughs> revivalist, basically. It's a See, fun it's- book.
0: It's wild, and anyone that says like the Old Testament's boring or, or Second Temple history's boring, you haven't read the stories. They are, no. they are fascinating. So, I mean, obviously, as Protestants, um, the Catholic Church doesn't take the Pseudepigrapha as scripture, but they would take the apocrypha right. as scripture. Um, some of the Eastern we wouldn't Orthodox necessarily will take
1: some of the some of the pseudopigrapha, but not all of them.
0: Correct. Yeah, the Eastern Orthodox Church adds a few more. Um, yeah. My general take. I want to run this past you. When when someone comes to me and says, "Hey, as a Protestant, what's your approach to these books?" Uh, and, and I go, "Well, it depends on the book, but here are some just general ideas. I think these books are not written with any malicious intent, but these are the people of God trying to figure out faith, God, life, mm-hmm. and, and so we have these writings, we have these stories, we have some what I'm going to call uh, religious fan fiction." Like, hey, I really like this guy and I want to talk him up. Um, I, I read, like, for example, Bell and the Dragon, which is an additional chapter added Aww. to Daniel. And I'm like, it's it, it's Babylonian CSI. Like, it's hilarious. It, yeah. Go read it. Um, yes. And, and I don't see anything malicious in it, but someone's going like, I just want to keep telling you how cool Daniel is. Um, yeah. And the historical books, Second Maccabees especially, um, but all the Maccabees, if you want to get a sense of, like, what's going on. Um, yeah. I always say approach them as as the work, just as we do today. We read Christian writers. We read people talking about our history. Read them like that. They're books that will be helpful to you. You don't have to view them as scripture. Um, yeah. Would you say that that's a good recommendation, or how would you approach these books for the interested listener?
1: In general, I think that that's, a, that's a good way. I would I would tweak it just a little bit and say um, you have the clothes of the Old Testament. You have the opening of the New Testament. If you want to understand how we got here from here, you should know Mm. what happens here. But you can't take anything you read here and say, thus saith the Lord. So anything you read in Second Temple material, well, technically, most of the New Testament Second Temple material as well, so let me rephrase. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: We can't take any non-canonical Second Temple material and use it to correct faith, doctrine, life, et cetera et cetera. But we can take it and understand the background in order to understand our canonical scriptures a little bit better. Yeah. that's
0: really well put. Uh, and I think that's 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 what my i would want to echo yeah. listeners um don't take it as thus say it, the lord but it will definitely help you understand how we get from a to b because if we don't take that time i don't think the new testament makes sense as much no. as it otherwise could no. now christian i want to be respectful of your time but you have uh, a few minutes to I'm take good. a question from a listener All
1: I, right. i'm
0: good um, we can keep rolling fantastic so uh Question from a listener. Any recommendations on book explanations for Maccabees or maybe I'll broaden it a little bit. What's a good kind of primer for the Second Temple period? What would a good author or book be?
1: James Vanakam, um just put out his second edition of, I think it was Intro to the Second, second Temple period. Introduction. I could look right there and see it, except for I took it down and put it on the table over it's there. Over so there. I can't see it now. But yeah, v- v- Vanakam does one. Um, you have uh, probably one of the more classical ones is, uh, George, George Nicholsberg is another second temple introduction. Uh, his is going to be, um, a little bit thicker of a read. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's still, it's still good. If you want to spend a bunch of money because, you know, you, you don't have it or you have it, you just don't know what to do with it. Um, go pick up. The uh, the Dictionary of Second Temple Judaism. Or no, The Dictionary of Early Judaism. Um, it's about that book, about that big. Um, it's edited by Col- Collinsworth, as so much of the Second Temple stuff is. And mm. it is fantastic. It has five large articles in the front that walk you through the Second Temple period. And then it goes A to Z, everything dealing with second temple Um, for the books themselves. If you want both of the, of the books I, I uh, mentioned the the introductory books go through both the literature and the history. If you Mm -hmm. just want um, to read the literature, probably the best one is going to be uh, I know it, and it's kept my mind. And I have the book sitting. I should have them sitting right here someplace. Um. So help help me. The, the first person who wrote the large volumes on Second Temple of literature, like produced the or edited it, was his name was. Oh, um, well, see, this is why. Like the do compilations not get in English. Listener. Do not get old. <laughs> <laughs> this happens, and it's not fun.
0: Um, and it always happens, like it, it, as soon as we hit in stream, right? Well, it, it'll come to mind that mm-hmm. happens.
1: That's well, okay absolutely. if it comes
0: to if it comes to that. That's fine. Um, but yeah, see if you can find even if it's just portions of uh, the 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 handbook that's out that's put out by Oxford. Correct. I found it. You found it. There you go. I, I found it. He's going to go get it. Because this is a period that uh, I can understand part of the difficulty to get into is it's just not—we don't have the vocabulary to understand, right? We we talk Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, um, but there are plenty of good resources out there if we can find them. So uh, as Christian gets that, uh, other people in the chat, feel free to throw in questions. We'll get to them in just a moment, but so here we go. Here's
1: the, here's the Massive Erdman's Dictionary. You can see it's Massive oh, and yeah. You'll spend quite a bit of money on this, but if you're really interested, it is fantastic. These are kind of the, the new standard go-to books, and it's uh, Charlesworth.
0: Charlesworth, okay.
1: Th- these right here. So it's uh, the Old Testament student Well, they they both actually say Old Testament student epigrapha, but it's volume one and volume two. Let me do this correctly the volume 1 and volume 2 by Charlesworth and these will give you um like introductions and then they they will give you all of the material and there's a ton of stuff in here um mm. like you'll get lost i mean look at at the thickness of these yeah there, there's then, so much
0: material at that time
1: yeah and then there there are some other things go go pick up a uh like a, a RSV bible Um, Mm -hmm. some King James Bibles and others will actually have the the Apocrypha in it so those would be the different ways I would go at it for for, um,
0: yeah and I would I would say for any of our listeners that are Protestant go read the Apocrypha it's not like you're like violating the sacred Protestant trust Um, these books have been preserved by the church as helpful books we obviously disagree with the Catholics on whether we would call them scripture in the technical sense, but um, I don't think we would disagree that they are still helpful books. Um, so avail yourself of that, because I think it will really deepen our understanding of the New Testament, especially. And maybe, Christian, we'll just take just a few minutes. The Second Temple obviously helps us with the New Testament. This is an Old Testament podcast. How does understanding the second temple period help us kind of understand the close of the old testament and are, are there any interesting insights you think we need to be aware of
1: how much time do we have left
0: <laughs> well technically we're at the end of time but i mean we also make the rules so uh as, as long oh, as you want we, oh no that's a dangerous saying, thing to
1: say never mind <laughs> yeah the two of us that's not that's not good uh, uh, yeah but I mean, we literally could spend another two, three hours on this because that is a big, big deal. So mm. the issue coming into the Second Temple period, as I said, um, you know, you have the Babylonian captivity, you have the Assyrian captivity. Okay, when they come back from Babylon, um, they come back to a mess. You know, everything is destroyed. Everything mm-hmm. just—it's just, horrendous. Now, eventually, they do build. But you even hear in Ezra and Nehemiah, when they finish building, there's this great cry, and it's a cacophonous cry. It's not all joy. You know, there are people who are crying out in in, in sorrow because they were old enough to remember the first temple, and Mm -hmm. the second temple is not the same as the first temple. Which, by the way, why, when Jesus said, Destroy, the, destroy this temple, and I will rebuild it in three days. And mm-hmm. they said, what? It took 40 years to build this. So what they're actually referring to, and I'm sorry, I'm going on a little rabbit trail here, but That's what they're right. actually referring to is the fact that Herod, because you know, he to instill himself with the Jews, wants to rebuild the temple. And they mm-hmm. and they say, you will not rebuild this. He said, you know, you cannot tear it down. He said, I'll tell you what, I will quarry the rocks, I will bring them, I will replace them brick or stone by stone. And so he does it, and he rebuilds the entire temple. And so when Jesus says three days, they say it took 40 years, they're referring to Herod's building of that temple, which happened, at least partly, I would think, because he to instill himself, and partly because he wants to make a name for himself as well, of course. Right. But anyways, back to your question. Uh, um, so, so you know, you have these people crying out and it just, it it doesn't get better from there. You have these prophecies about how, you know, wealth and riches are going to pour in and, and the nations are going to come and and it doesn't happen. And so there's a lot of angst. There's a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Why is it that God is not doing what he promised he would do? And a lot of what we have in the final form of the Old Testament books is meant to answer that question. Ezra and Nehemiah, mm-hmm. obey the law. No matter what, obey the law. Because people are saying, you know, how can we trust God? And one answer was, it doesn't matter just obey the law maybe god does what he's going to do okay so obedience to the law is how you do it but they also pushed it somewhat to the point of um you can get god to do something by obeying the law first and second mm. chronicles comes along and there's uh sarah japheth and others have written on first and second chronicles saying no oh, that it it's author at least in the final form, is actually correcting the theology of Ezra and Nehemiah. Because remember, there is no prophetic voice throughout these books saying that what they're saying, is what they're doing is correct. It's not like the kings. So there's no place in the Bible where we're told that what Ezra and Nehemiah did was right. That might come, come as a shock to some of you. Mm. But so you have... You have um, First and Second Chronicles saying, well, wait, wait, wait. You have, as you know, because you did your dissertation on it, Job. And Job's another you know, reaction to this. God, why is this happening? What are we doing? And Job comes along and says, who are you to even ask that question? If God answers,
2: right.
1: you're not going to understand it. You have Habakkuk, um, the final form of Habakkuk, and Habakkuk chapter 1. Um, comes along and it basically says, "Here's how you, and here's how you don't ask the question," which is yeah. the first part, um, where Habakkuk accuses God of being immoral. Basically, you know, his, his law goes on cold; it's dead. He's not the God he used to be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And God says, "Wait, what? Well, yeah, slowly roll that. Habakkuk. I'm I still doing yeah, stuff. Yeah, watch all of these people are going to come in and just." Destroy this area, and Habakkuk yeah. goes, "Oh, um, oops, oh Lord, my Lord, my great, wonderful Lord." I mean, but he then yeah. asks asks the same questions,
2: mm-hmm. and so
1: Habakkuk, at least that first part, is about how do you ask God these kind of these kinds of questions? Um, you have uh, Ecclesiastes, that yes, I right. know Solomon probably, you know, Solomon may have wrote the first part. But if you but you have the
0: compiler it, who's who's late.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You have the compiler, and then you even have that voice at the very end of the, the man who's talking to his, like his son, and mm-hmm. the answer there is, who knows? So God's going to do His thing, you know, eat, drink, be merry, and let God do whatever He wants. And then the last little person, or the, the the father at the very end, also tags in. Yeah, but you have to obey the law as well.
2: It's but, the
0: chief end of man, yeah,
1: yeah, but all of that, um, took its final form based on the issues going on in the Persian period of the second the Persian times, the later Persian times of the second temple period,
0: yeah, and so. I, I think that's important for us because we we need to see when we in the Old Testament texts, right, we're, we're given. We artificially cut off history. One of the beauties of studying the Second Temple is I've gotten more literate with you, Christian, is appreciating the angst and issues that they are trying to work out. We don't see fully formed, but we see the beginning of them at the end of the Old Testament. And I think we can start seeing, oh, the some of the—especially Ezra Nehemiah Chronicles, there is a lot of cultural— turmoil and questions that they are really trying to wrestle with that now going to the new Testament, you can go, I get how this group, like the I get how the Pharisees get eventually to the point that they get to, I get how the Essenes or the Sadducees get to that point, not excusing them. Right. But going, I do understand. And I can see the trajectory, um, that requires correction that requires a uh, careful understanding of the word of God and, and not pushing it out of its form.
1: And we also, when we move from the old to the new, like through the second temple, we also get better um, better threads. We understand the thread better because, for instance, mm-hmm. again, um, David brought in um, Zadok, the high priest Zadok, right? And so you have right. the Zadok line. Well, by the in Onias 3, as I mentioned at, at the beginning, he was the, the last Zadok high priest. So he disappears, but of course you're going to have external, not external, but like, you know, cousins and second cousins or whatever. The family, member, family members who are still in, in the Zadokite line. And mm-hmm. then you're going to have the other priests who support them. And just as I say with Iscariot, when you drop the vowels and just have the consonants, Zad- or, uh, Zadok quickly becomes Sadducee. And that's where the mm-hmm. Sadducee party comes from. It is basically the party of the leftover Zadok line and the others who associate with them and think that that's the correct way to go. And then the Pharisees just kind of show up um, right. in the middle of the Second Temple period, but it's an upswell from from just the the everyday person. The Pharisees was the was the party of the everyday person,
0: um, right? Because they and, see the the priests are are getting into all these. The priests, ironically, are some of the least religious people by the time you get to Jesus's day in terms of like faith and belief in God. And if I'm a person that believes in God and I see my priests just playing the political game like, oh, yeah, I might actually go. No, fine. I'll do it myself. Let's let's study God's word. Let's obey it. But we see that they lean into the Ezra Nehemiah end of Ecclesiastes approach. Adherence to the law. Let's add to it. Maybe that's how we work our way back in. Um right and, and so uh, th- listeners one of the things i hope we've really driven home we need to study this period because it helps us see the through lines from old to new testament um christian there is so much to get here um i think i want to have you back uh at, at a sure. later time because there are some questions that i'm like oh if i ask that well there's 2 hours down the drain um because there there are some texts we haven't even brought up like we've mentioned Enoch in passing, but the theology of Enoch, how does that understand and shape the new Testament? Like with revelation, uh, and many, many more, but, uh, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) there are so many questions here.
1: Yeah. Just massive, massive issues. Um, yeah, it's the digger, the digger, the deeper you dig, the more you realize just how much there is it's it's is a fascinating time period that I just I've grown to really enjoy and love and honestly I need to get back more into it myself again so I've kind of moved away from a little bit just in my general research but um Mm -hmm. yeah there was something else that I I wanted to share um kind of one of those things that that when you know about it at the second temple period you go oh when you read about it in scripture and i I, it's just kind of skipped my mind now so um let's see what
0: were we talking about right before we were talking about various sects of judaism i've always found that uh as soon as you hear about the essenes you go oh john the baptist now makes sense weird guy coming in from the desert proclaiming doom and gloom yeah we have a group at that time that does that um, yeah. so he fits right in and begins making sense.
1: Oh, and then so let's who knows that this might open up a whole massive door. We might be here another three hours. but let's talk magic and witchcraft for a second. Okay? So you have we have found in the Second Temple period in the area the area of um, modern day Israel. These Mm -hmm. cups or pots that, of course, are turned upside down and are placed under the doorposts to catch spirits from coming in. We have these little scrolls that are wrapped up, and they're really, really small, and they have little, like, verses, somewhat verses written on them. Um, They actually look like precursors to mezuzahs, okay? Mm. If, if If... you're familiar with, mm-hmm. with what a mezuzah is, the thing that gets attacked on doorposts. Um, right. We, we know for a fact that the, the priests out of the, um, the Persian religion, um, they would cast out demons by reading these large scrolls. And so it wasn't their authority. It was the authority of the words they were reading. And right. we have these same kind of scrolls in the Dead Sea Scrolls where they would use these scrolls and it was what was written on them. And there were pieces of scripture, but you would read them. Mm -hmm. And that was the method to cast out the demon. Okay. So then we come to Mark chapter two.
2: Yeah. And
1: Jesus walks in and Jesus basically goes, demon, shut up, come out. And everyone goes, what? How can
0: you do that? You don't have your implements.
1: Yeah, you don't have a and, scroll, and, and, and you know we think, well, it's because he cast out a demon. No, the demons were being cast out left, right, and center during that time, but it's because he did not have to read a scroll. It was it was mm. his authority and not the authority of the scroll. So it's the authority of the word of Jesus, not oh man of the scripture and, itself.
0: And now I mean, my mind's racing. I'm like, oh boy, if we we're not getting out of here, but um during that time you have philo of alexandria right Mm -hmm. a famous jewish writer begins developing the idea of the word of god the logos uh which begins bringing that about john doesn't just bring up the the in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god out of nothing it's out of one of the main jewish philosophers of the time Mm -hmm. philo um, And, and 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 greek philosophy and greek philosophy as well yeah yeah all right. Yeah. No, we are definitely having you back because I, I want to talk about, I want to dig into that more. I want to dig into First Enoch. Um, I want to dig because I, I know Tim would like to be here for a debate on talking about Ezra and Nehemiah. Were they correct? Uh, and, and listeners, by the way, when he brought that up earlier, I didn't make note of it. I should have. There's no problem with saying, are they correct or not? The Bible in that and in those books, right? It's talking about history. Here's what happened. It's leaving it up to us to decide, as careful readers, does the Bible think they're right? Um, so that's yeah. an interesting debate. I actually need to think about that a little bit more, um, but I'd love to have you back for that. Christian, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Um, it's always a pleasure talking to you and just sitting and listening and hearing from your wisdom. Um, before we close off, is there any final like thoughts, encouragement, anything you want to leave with our listeners?
1: Yeah, I just want to illustrate the... The uh, is it right? Is it wrong? With the story of Jephthah mm. and the daughter, but I, I might yes. have to leave that hanging because that might get us into a whole other conversation as well. No, go no, look, look up the it,
0: story he's referencing. It's
1: it's an it important won't. story. Give me give me minutes. Okay, yeah, a go for people, it. A lot of people read Jephthah and they read, well, you know, the, the, how could God approve? human sacrifice because remember he promised mm-hmm. God, anything I see coming out of my house, um, First I'll thing. sacrifice, if you, sacrifice. Give me, yeah, if you give me um, um, victory in this war. This is the book of Judges. And so he gets victory, goes home, he looks up, and instead of an animal coming out, which is what you would expect, it's his daughter coming out. And so his daughter gets sacrificed. And it, mm-hmm. the scripture isn't clear on exactly what that means, I believe 100% it's a physical human sacrifice. Now, does Scripture approve of that? Absolutely not. But it's still in there. And there is no prophetic voice saying that that was wrong. But if you know the larger story of Scripture, it's trying to teach that it's wrong. And the question is, why? And it's simple. When you go back into the law, it's a part of the law that says, if you... Um, if you have a vow and you can't and you don't want to fulfill it or you can't fulfill it, you can buy your way out of that vow. There's only one time mm-hmm. when you can't do it, and that's when the sacrifice is harem, so it's set aside, and that word is not used when he makes his vow. So, whatever came out will not be haram. But, um, the story is then saying what's going on here is the leaders of Israel did not know their own law, and it builds from the very beginning when everyone was walking with God to the very end where no one knew anything. And so when we jump back to Ezra and Nehemiah, now we have something where uh, they're trying, trying, trying to obey the law, but the question is, are they trying to reestablish what was instead of understanding what God's doing in the future? And so that's a... Mm big question
0: yeah. that's a really helpful point um and this is the beauty of reading the old testament our our, our stories yeah. don't come with and the moral of the story is we are called and we are pulled by god to mm-hmm. read his word carefully to understand the whole council because only then can we actually understand this is the moral of the story thank you for that yeah. christian that's a really important point Uh, listeners thank you so much for joining us this evening uh this has been a fun time we're going to have dr christian back definitely to talk about some of these other things next week we'll be back in our counterpoint series dr tim will be back with us and on this coming friday we will announce on youtube what that next episode is going to be thank you for joining us this evening and as always stay cool and stay old have a wonderful night everyone take care